0: The scripture for this morning's sermon is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation in the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keeping keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray.
1: Father, I depend on you now. Pray that you would come and help me, Father. Help me as I speak. Help me to be faithful to the words of the word. And help me to say things in a manner that would be befitting of your Spirit. Please, Father, use your Word now and plant it like a seed in the hearts of every believer that is here. And cause us to be a people who love to pray according to the Word of God. Oh, Father, as a man who you have said as a pastor over this church, what a privilege it is to serve the people that you died for on the cross. Oh, Father, one of my greatest prayers is that your people would be a people who know what it means to pray at all times in the Holy Spirit by the Word of God. So please help me now, I pray. Help me in my life to live these things. Help my family to live these things. And help our church to be a people of prayer, to become more and more like you, Lord Jesus. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, last week we began a discussion about Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 and prayer. And we learned that this little phrase, praying in the Spirit, essentially means to pray in communion with God. Prayer is not just another duty which Christians must perform or else sin if they do not perform. It's not just one thing among many, many things. Prayer is not just another task on your checklist that you have to check off or you'll be disappointing to your Father. Prayer is living in communion with God through Jesus Christ on the basis of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I think the reason that Paul says that we're to pray at all times is because he wants us always to live in communion with God, whether you're waking or sleeping, whether you're busy or not so busy, whether you're up or down, whether you're in or out, no matter what your life is about at the moment, be in communion with God. Pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. Take full advantage of what Jesus Christ has bought for you on the cross. Be a people of prayer be a people who know what it means to live in communion with God. This week I want to talk with you about the key to understanding the power of prayer and the practice of prayer, and that is its relationship to the Word of God. And so first of all, I want to say a few things about how prayer fits, I think, into the flow of Ephesians 6, and then I'll come back and hone our attention in more specifically to the relationship between prayer and the Word of God. In one sense, I think that prayer is connected to the whole of the armor of God because the way that Paul states this passage, I think it's very clear that he doesn't envision prayer as another piece of the armor, but he envisions prayer as the means by which we put the armor on. He says to fasten on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness, put on the shoes of readiness for the gospel of peace, So whether you're called to go to Asia or called to go to some place in Elk River, you're ready to go and speak with joy the name of Jesus Christ and to put on the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying, praying. Put all of these things on, praying. Put on the armor of God, praying. And I take this flow of the text to mean in part that the way that we put on the armor of God is by communion with God. I've been saying to you for weeks and weeks, actually months now, that the armor of God is not something that He gives to us from outside of Himself, but that God Almighty is the armor that we wear. And so the way you put the armor on is not by some mechanical process, It's by being in communion with God through Jesus Christ on the basis of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As you draw into the presence of your Father, He becomes a shield for you. As the psalmist said, the faithfulness of the Lord is a shield in the day of battle. And that's how we put the armor on. So, prayer on the one hand is a means by which we put on the armor of God. You can't put it on in any other way. But on the other hand, I think that prayer is also the means by which we wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, in real life, when we're talking about the sword, we're talking about the speech of God, and it comes out of our mouths. And the way that a Christian warrior is to wield that sword is by communing with God in prayer. There is no other way. As I have said for several weeks now, the very Word that God uses to pierce our hearts and renew our minds and transform our souls and unite us with Him in Christ, that very Word becomes the sword that comes out of the mouth of a believer and the only way to wield it is by the power of the Spirit in prayer, in communion with the Father. And I go so far as to say that there's no other way because I just can't imagine another way to wield the power of God except by the power of the Spirit. Even Jesus Christ did it this way, right? Think about Luke 4, 1-15. He was first clothed with power from on high by the Spirit of God and then by that power He spoke out the Word with great effectiveness. The only way to wield the sword is by praying the Word in communion with the Holy Spirit. God has indeed put a sword in our hands, but He's also put a spirit in our hearts, and that is His own spirit. And He has willed that the only way His sword will be wielded is through communion with Him. Your Father has said to you that you will wield the sword as a believer, but not through a mechanical process. It will be through a relational process. As He draws near to you in Christ, and you draw near to Him in Christ. Let me take you to several texts and flesh out my argument here. Let's go to John 15 first. We'll be looking at probably one of the most amazing promises in the New Testament, John 15:7 through 8. Jesus says this speaking to followers of his. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So, remarkable words. And with these words, Jesus gives us two conditions, and then on the basis of those conditions, he makes what's truly a stunning promise. If you even just take three minutes to think about it, it ought to take your breath away. So here are the conditions. Number one, we must first abide in Christ. We must unite with him by faith. We must look to him alone for salvation. We must... Take Him as our only Lord and Savior. We must abide in Christ and in Christ alone. Condition number two, His words must abide in us. Now I find that very striking because in John 15, 4-5, He's already said twice, He's mentioned His abiding in us as believers, but now He adds to His words and says, not just that He will abide in us, but if my words abide in you. He adds this idea of His words abiding in us. So I take this to mean that the means by which Jesus Christ abides in his people is his words. Through the words that he has spoken over us with regard to our salvation, and through the words that he has spoken to all humanity at all times in the Bible. And so, practically speaking, for those of us who are now living 2,000 years after Jesus spoke these words, I think what it means for His Word to abide in us is that He has directly become the Word of God for us, for our salvation. He has spoken the Word of life into us and through us. For me, it was on October twenty sixth, 1986, when God said in Christ, Let there be light in the darkness of that heart. And there was light for me. That's part of what it means to let His Word dwell in us. But then also it means to let His written Word, the Bible, dwell richly in us. It means to make a life where we read and study and meditate on and memorize and converse about and hear sermons about the Word of God. It means literally to come to a place in your life where you crave the food of the Word morning, noon, and night. I promise you by the grace of God I wake up in the morning and I can't wait to open up my Bible. I crave it. I crave the Word of God and that's I think what Jesus has in mind here. Let my words abide in you. Let them abide in you richly. May your mind be soaked and saturated in them. And then on the basis of these things, you abide in me. My words abide richly in you. On the basis of these things, I now make a stunning promise to you. Ask me for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I can only pray that you're hearing that promise today. This is Jesus Christ. The Lord of the universe giving you carte blanche in his presence and in his name. Now, the reason his promise is meaningful is because of who he is. If I was to make this promise to you, it would essentially be a meaningless promise because I have no power to fulfill it, right? If I said to you, church, just ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you, it would be worthless because you would ask and I would not be able to deliver. Not not over time, for sure. But Jesus Christ is the one who created all things, and he's the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. And therefore, when he says, ask me whatever you wish, and it will be done for you, that is a meaningful promise. That's a stunning promise. It's a breathtaking promise. So let me put it in the terms of Ephesians 6 so that we can understand well what Jesus is getting at. Because I think as Americans, we're extremely well-trained consumers And I think we hear this in consumeristic terms. I think we tend to hear this as Jesus saying, just come to me and ask me for health, ask me for stuff, ask me for anything you want to meet your own needs and I'll do that for you. I'll be like a a massive butler in the sky for you. And Jesus is not thinking in those terms at all, at all. So I think if I could put it in the terms of Ephesians 6, I think what he's saying is this. If you abide in me and my words dwell richly in you, pray to me according to my words, whatever you would ask, and I will fight for you. I will act on your behalf. I will be for you and not against you. I will wield the sword of my spirit through you. I may let you suffer. I may let you be struck, but even that will be to your good. And in the end, I will make of you more than a conqueror through him who loves you. So to ask whatever we wish in Him according to His will essentially means that He fights for us. He marshals His power on our behalf. When we trust in Christ alone for salvation and allow His words to shape our minds, you see, that's why it's so important that He said, let my words abide in you. Because when His words abide in you, you don't just ask for stupid things. You begin to ask for things that are in accordance with His will, or at least you tend that way. That's the trajectory of your life. Now, I'm not saying that you never pray about simple stuff. I remember a few months ago, I had lost my keys, and I felt like that person in the parable. It's like, I was going to be very happy when I found my keys. There was going to be much rejoicing in the handren household when I finally found my keys. And I couldn't find them, and I couldn't find them, and finally I just stopped and I said, Father, I know that you're not my butler. I know you got a lot going on, but you're a great big God, and if you would, would you please help me find them? You're God. You know exactly where my keys are right this moment, so please help me find them. And if you don't, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. But just please, Father, would you help me? And within like three minutes, boom, I found my keys. Our God is an incredibly merciful God, isn't He? He cares about all the details of our lives. So I'm not saying that the more your mind is shaped by the Word, that you don't pray about everyday, earthly, mundane stuff. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that you learn to pray about it in a particular way. You learn to ask for God's help in all situations, but not as a consumer. You ask for His help as a child of God in Jesus Christ. And what you want more than anything is to be like your Father. And if He would allow you to suffer so that you could be more like Him, well then so be it. It may not be fun, but it's good, right? Some of the most shaping times in my life have been the most difficult times in my life. When the Father allowed me to suffer for the glory of His name. And the mind that is shaped by the Word begins to ask in those terms. It will often add at the end of its prayer in one way, shape, or form, not my will, but your will be done, right? Now, I have heard some Christians say that that's a bit of a, of a cop-out. That to say, not my will, but your will be done, expresses a lack of faith. But I would say it just the opposite. To say, not my will, but your will be done, expresses faith more perfectly because it's a way of saying, Father, you see stuff I don't see. You know things I do not know. You have a perspective I don't have. You have purposes that I have not even begun to comprehend. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has conceived what God has planned for those who love Him in Jesus Christ. I don't know, but you know. So I have a heart for this situation, but Father, if it's not your heart, then do away with that. Your will be done, not my will be done. At the bottom of the heart of every Christian, that is our prayer. That's why Jesus can say, ask anything you want and it will be done for you. Because God is going to work His purposes out through your life. He is going to do this. Nobody will stop Him. And at the bottom of the heart of every believer is simply the heart to ask for that to be done. Now, when we pray out to God, and He is pleased to answer our prayers in Christ, two things happen. I'm really not going to say anything about this, but I did want to mention it. At the end of verse 8, number one, we bear much fruit, and later Jesus said fruit that lasts There's nothing more joy-producing in my life than bearing fruit that I know is going to last. Brother, when you led that person to Christ, how many ever years ago that was, that was eternal fruit. And that's joy-producing fruit. Fruit that lasts is joy-producing fruit. And that happens in the Spirit by prayer and communion with the Father. Second thing that happens, this is the main fruit of any Christian life, is that the Father is glorified through us. So this means that the wielding of the sword of God through the life of a Christian always produces authentic joy for us, and it always produces authentic glory for our Father. So when I talk about the, the title of the sermon today is Praying the Word is Wielding the Sword. To pray the Word is to wield the sword. What I'm trying to get at is this. As Jesus' words shape our minds, we pray those words back to the Father, the Father fights for us on our behalf the only way you can wield the sword of god is by the power of god you don't have it in you and i don't have it in me and so we do this by prayer and that's why praying the word is wielding the sword in all circumstances please turn with me now to romans chapter 12 we spent several weeks here but i just want to make a, a couple of more comments about romans 12 romans 12 1 to 2 says this I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so, as I said, we spent several weeks here, And you may remember, those of you who are here, we emphasized three words. I think for two weeks I talked about three words. Renewal, transformation, and union. And I talked about how the Word of God seeks to renew our minds, but that the process of renewal is not just informing you with new stuff about God, but it's to transform your being. He's looking to to actually change you. The word here in Greek is metamorphosize you. To change you from one thing into another thing by the means of the Word of God. And the point of that transformation is to unite you forever with God in Christ. Those of us who are in Christ one day, 1 John 3 says, will see Him as He is and we will be like Him. That's the whole point of renewal and transformation. It's union with Jesus Christ. Now, I left off any comments about the end of verse 2 there where it talks about discerning the will of God because I think that it has to do with prayer. And here's what I mean. As God renews the mind of a believer and transforms the soul of a believer and unites the believer with Jesus Christ, we learn to think as God thinks about a variety of situations, both practical and theological, and we learn to pray in the spirit with the words of God by the will of God so we prayerfully discern the will of God and then we prayerfully speak that will back to him and one of the reasons that I'm pretty sure that Paul has prayer in mind here is because I just can't imagine why else a person would need to discern the will of God let me just think about this with me for a second what would be the function of you grant being granted the gift To discern the will of almighty God except to pray back to God to rely on him in communion with him well some of you may might answer that obedience would be another reason so maybe one reason that we need to be able to discern God's will in a situation is so that we can walk in his ways and I would say amen but then I would ask you how does obedience happen how does a person walk in obedience to God by God's power or by your own power I think all of human history is a demonstration that we cannot walk in obedience to God on our own power. So we must walk in obedience to God by His power, and how do you do that but by prayer? So the whole purpose of discerning the will of God is to pray back to God and ask Him for help and power to live in that will, to walk in that will. The way we discern the will of God is by prayerfully receiving His words. And then the way that we apply the will of God is by praying that will back to God in a whole variety of situations. Again, this is what I mean when I say that praying the word is wielding the sword. The way to actually advance as a Christian warrior is by prayer. It's by taking the wisdom of God and asking for the power of God to advance in your life in Christ, whatever that means at the moment. Now, this raises a question which I think does have a fairly obvious answer, but I want to ask and answer it anyways, and this will make up the the last section of the message for this morning. And here's the question. Does all that I have been saying mean that a Christian must always pray in the exact words of God in order for prayer to be effective? So, here's what I'm getting at. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, right? So we're clear about that? The sword of the Spirit is actually not a sword. It's words, it's speech from God. So, must a Christian always use the exact speech from God in order to wield the sword? And my answer is this. Not exactly, but it's really helpful to use the precise words of God as much as you possibly can. I see this shaking out in three levels, so let me just cover these three levels. Level number one is this. Sometimes Christians do pray in the exact words of God. A couple of weeks ago when I was preparing myself to talk about prayer for a few weeks here, I listened to three sermons that John Piper has preached over the years on Ephesians sixteen eight. And one of the things that he said really struck me in its force and in its simplicity. He simply said this. He said, if you want to have confidence that you're praying according to the will of God, then pray the exact words of God. Take a passage of Scripture and pray back to God exactly what the Scripture says. And in this way, you can be pretty confident that you are praying according to the will of God. The Word is the primary tool that our Father uses to teach us to think like Him in a whole variety of ways. And so then it becomes the means of God to train us to pray according to His will. And that's where power in prayer comes from, when a person prays according to the will of God. And so here's how, just very practically speaking, here's how I think this works out in life, how it works out in my life. I first take the time to try to understand the Word of God on its own terms. It's really important that we do this. In our day, there are just churches everywhere who are being so sloppy with the Word of God. Do not follow them. Be careful with the Word of God. This is speech from God. You don't have the right to play with it. The reason that I spend 15, 20 hours every week getting ready for these 45 minutes is because I tremble at the thought that I am bringing before you the Word of God. That is not a small thing. So, the first thing a Christian must do is seek to understand a passage on its own terms. Let's just say John 15, 7 through 8. You know, we have different time available to us at different times, but whatever time you have, take your time to try to understand the words. Then on the basis of the understanding the Father has granted you, simply turn around and pray that very wisdom right back to Him. So to demonstrate this to you, please bow with me, and let me just pray for us. John 15, 7 through 8, I just want to pray this over our church. Lord Jesus, you know that I wrote this prayer that I'm about to pray, but you also know that I mean every single word that I'm about to say. So I pray in your great name that you would hear these words, and that you would cause them to have effect in the lives of your people. Jesus, please cause this people to abide in you cause us to trust in You, cause us to hope in You, cause us to cling to You alone for our salvation. And please, Lord, I pray that You would cause Your words to come and abide in us very richly. Lord, I pray that You would give this church a love for Your words, so that we would read them and study them and memorize them and seek to obey them, but not out of a sense of duty, Lord, but out of a sense of love for You. And then, Lord, as Your words teach us how to think, I pray that they would also teach us how to pray. And I pray that we would pray in a way that's pleasing to You. And as we pray according to Your Word, please grant us whatever we would wish for the glory of the Father and to show the fact that we are, in fact, Your disciples. Oh, Lord, we pray these things in Your great and gracious name. And we thank You for what You will do. Amen. Now, if you are listening carefully, you will recognize that I was mixing my own words in with the very words of God, but I think I used just about every word of John fifteen seven through 8. And I was careful to follow the order and the logic of the words. I spent a long time... This was a few years ago, but I spent a long time studying John 15, and I feel like I have a grasp on what the Lord is trying to say, and so based on the understanding, I simply breathe it back to Him. And I can't tell you what an amazingly powerful, simple discipline this has been in my life. Probably the most shaping discipline in my life has been learning to understand the Word and then pray the Word back to Him. Listen, if you only have the Word and you don't have prayer, you know what you become? You become a pharisee these pharisees and sadducees had most likely memorized the entire first five books of the bible and jesus looked at them one day and said you don't even know the word of god much less the power of god What do you mean I don't know the Word of God? I could quote Genesis through Deuteronomy to you. Well, they didn't have the heart. They had a form of godliness, but they denied its power. So if you just become a biblical egghead and you don't have a prayer life where you're connecting with God in prayer, you're just going to become a Pharisee of some sort or other. But if you have a prayer life without being tethered to the Word, you either become an out-of-control charismatic who barks and clucks in the Spirit like people are doing today, or you become a liberal who just has this nebulous idea of God but you're totally untethered to the Word and you're just floating about in the ocean, blown about by every wind and wave of doctrine. We must be a people who know what it means to understand the Word of God and then pray on the basis of the wisdom of God. As a pastor, Ephesians four, twelve and 13 say that my job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. And as someone who will answer to Jesus for that, I just want to tell you, there's not another single habit that I would want to press on you than this. And I mean that. I don't know how many years the Lord will give me in this church and ministry, but there's literally not one thing that I would like to teach you as far as habits go that goes above and beyond this. This is it for me. I want to teach you to love the Bible and let the words dwell in you richly and then pray that word back to the Father. Nothing will so shape your life as that. So let's become a people like that. Power in prayer comes by praying in the Spirit at all times according to the will of God. This is the only way to wield the sword. Level number two. This is level number one, was praying the exact words of the Lord. Sometimes Christians pray according to God's will, but we don't use the exact words of God. And I would argue that this is still a wielding of the sword. So even though you're not quoting a a specific text, you're just praying back to God, I would argue that if you're in Christ and His words are in you, you are still wielding the sword. And, And I see three reasons in the Scripture for believing this, warrants in the Scripture, if you will. First of all, while it's true that in Luke chapter 4, Jesus used the exact speech of God to defeat the devil, if you just think about the rest of His ministry over the next three years, it was the case that most often He did not use exact quotes when He was fighting against demons and breaking into the devil's kingdom here on earth. Most of the time, He was communing with His Father and discerning a situation and then just speaking into that situation with great power sometimes he did quote the word but at other times he simply spoke wisdom into a situation and that is still wielding the word because it's coming from a mind that's saturated in the word and the will of god secondly i see prayers in the new testament which sometimes do quote the word and sometimes don't quote the word but they are almost completely made up of words that are not direct speech from God. A couple of examples here. You can just write this down. Actually, I think I put them in your notes. You could look at them later. Acts chapter 4, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. These are three prayers that God determined should be written down and preserved as inspired speech in the Bible, and yet they're not direct quotes from God. And so I see in here permission to pray without always praying in the exact speech of God. And number three... Even though we don't always use the exact words of the Scripture to pray, they still are a wielding of the sword because hopefully the Scripture has uh, renewed our mind, transformed our minds, so shaped our minds that we pray in accordance with the will of God. As I said earlier, it's not 100% true of us, but hopefully the trajectory of our lives is that the Word of God is shaping how we think so that we inadvertently even at times pray in accordance with the will of our Father. And when we do that, the Father is willing to wield His power on our behalf. Now, as I said, I do think that it's wise to incorporate the specific words of Scriptures into our prayers as often as possible because it guides us. It helps us and it keeps us from being prideful and thinking we can go out there on our own and do battle with the enemy on our own. Woe to us on the day when we think we can go to Elk River or go to Asia and do battle in Christ on our own. Woe to us on that day. We cannot. So it's a great discipline to learn to pray in the words of God. But if we're just being, you know, honest and frank about how real life works itself out, 99% of the prayers that I pray are not direct quotes from Scripture, right? And so this is pleasing to the Father because the Word is yet shaping our minds and we are yet praying in a way that is according to His will. So at the depth of the heart of any person who abides in Christ and the words of Christ abide in Him is simply to breathe the power and the wisdom and the effectiveness of those words back to the Father and then He is pleased to answer on our behalf. Now let me press this one level further. We have a level where we're using the exact words of God. Second level is where we pray in accordance with our Father's will, but we don't always use His exact words. Now here's level number three. Sometimes we believers, walking in the Spirit, we cry out to the Father in accordance with His will, but without words at all. Sometimes you pray with no words at all. What I have in mind here are those times when we want to pray about something, when we see a situation and we desperately want to cry out to God about it, but we have no idea what to say to Him. You ever been there? Sometimes you look at a situation and you just have no clue what to say to God. You see the circumstances. You are abiding in Him in Christ. You know that He's on your side. His words are abiding in you more and more, hopefully, as the days go by. You know that you should pray. You want to pray. But despite all of that, you have absolutely no clue what to say to God. So what are you to do in a time like that? Well, here's a place where Romans eight becomes extremely important. Please look at Romans eight twenty-six with me. This, as far as my prayer life goes, has impacted me as much as any word from God in the whole Bible. It says profoundly impacted my life romans eight i'm going to start there likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought now for years i used to think that that meant i would see a situation and i had a sense of what i wanted to pray but i just couldn't find words to say about the situation But then I discovered, about ten years ago, I was looking at this passage really carefully, and I discovered uh, an amazing thing, that the Word of God means exactly what it says. It's just a profound principle for you to write down and remember. The Word of God means exactly what it says. And what this says is that I don't even know what to pray for. I look at a situation, and I'm baffled by it. I have no idea idea what even to conceive to pray to jesus much less words to say so what am i to do paul continues but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of god And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So Paul is envisioning a situation here where we don't even know how to pray, what to pray about, much less what words to use. And so the Holy Spirit comes to our aid. He rises up within us, as it were, and He intercedes for us with groanings too deep. For words, I cannot tell you how deeply that phrase ministered to me at some very difficult times of my life. The Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us at times with groanings which are just flatly too deep for words. Pentecostals want to have us believe that Paul is talking here about the gift of tongues. I believe that the Holy Spirit still grants the gift of tongues. But I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. He said that it's not me, but the Spirit who is groaning, interceding with groanings that are too deep for words. These are beyond words. Language is an amazing gift from God. It's an amazing grace to us from God. But there are some things that we face, there are some things we need to communicate that are flatly beyond the capacity of language to express. So much so, that even the Holy Spirit Himself sometimes only groans to the Father. He just groans to the Father. I don't know if you've ever suffered like that, but there have been times in my life where I didn't know what else to do but just to groan to God. I love to go out into the woods and pray, and there are times when the Lord will put something on my heart about which to pray, and I have no words. All I can do is groan, and I praise Him because I know that He speaks groan. He understands what I'm trying to say. I can't conceive it. I can't put it into words, but He gets it. And the Holy Spirit groans to the Father, and the Father is pleased to hear the Spirit because the Spirit always prays in accordance with the Father's will, even when He's only groaning. And because of that, the Father hears and answers prayer. Because of that, the Father comes to act on our behalf, even when there are no words. Even when all you can do is groan to Him, the Father will hear you in Christ and act on your behalf. So even speechless prayer is a wielding of the sword in that way. Last Saturday night and then actually Sunday evening, I had the great privilege of having dinner with those two missionaries from Italy who were here with us last week. And we were talking about their life in Christ there. They spent 26 years now laying down their life for the good of people in another nation and I just was asking them about their life and ministry, and they told me about something I had never heard before. Before they had their two daughters, both of whom are college age now, before they had those daughters, they had three other babies, and all of them died. All three of them. And not just miscarriages. All three of their babies died. I just asked them. They were telling us, that even though they all died, they still had this longing to have children. It just wouldn't leave them alone. So I asked them, how did you do it? What did you do in relationship to God with three babies that did not make it? Three in a row. And they said a lot of things to me. But one thing I can promise you is that in those days they did a lot of groaning to God. Because what else are you going to do? What kind of words are you going to put on a prayer like that? When you've just lost three children and you still have a longing for more, what will you do but simply groan to the Father? But praise God, He hears the groans. He hears the groans and the Holy Spirit Himself groans with us and He groaned with Stephen, Cindy Thompson. And he caused all things to work together for their good because they loved him and were called according to his purpose. I was so blessed to hear Steve and Cindy give glory to Jesus Christ for their three babies who did not make it. And they meant it. They were not being superficial. I was so blessed. That kind of ability to get through a situation that difficult sometimes goes back to prayer without words. It's a kind of communing with our Father that cannot be expressed. It's just too deep for words. And beloved, even when there are no words, the good news is that in Christ, God is on our side. He is fighting for us. He is wielding the sword for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? So let me just close now by reading for you the rest of Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. You see Him there, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ there before the Father interceding for you. nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I feel in one of those speechless states right now, I don't even know how to respond to a text like Romans 8. But I want to thank you in Christ that you are for us. And I want to ask You, Lord, once more to teach us. May we abide in You and may Your words abide richly in us that all of our prayers would be according to Your will, whether they have words or not, and having prayed in accordance with Your will, O Father, for the glory of Your name I pray, act on our behalf. Show this people at glory of Christ fellowship that all these things are not just theoretical, theological things that you talk about in church, but they're reality. This is life for those of us who are in Christ. Oh, Father, show us. Please be merciful to us. We are so weak in our flesh, but you are strong, and so we depend upon you. I pray now that you would be pleased as we rise to sing praises to your name. In the great and gracious name of Jesus, amen.